All right. Good morning. It's great to have you, whether you're here in the building or whether you are watching online, we are glad that you're here. Would you open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34? Uh, we're going to be in verse 6 again today, which is where we were last week, which is where we're going to be next week. Uh, but it's such gold. And I, I'll just be quite honest with you all. I, I have been feeling this week, I'm like, Lord, this is how you described yourself. This was the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, we're going to see faithful love and truth today. Like, God, this is how you said, this is who I am. And I have to get up and talk about this. Like, this is an impossible task. And yet that's what he just, over and over in my soul, it's like, you get up and you declare who I am. And you let me do the work. And so I'm trusting the Lord's going to do the work this morning. And I hope your heart is ready to listen. Because I can only bring so much, but your heart, you have to be ready to receive what it is. I want to remind you, do you all know what our mission statement is here at Berean? Does anybody know it? Leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and actually, whoops, uh, sorry, I didn't want to quite that. So here we go, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. My dream would be that everybody who attends here at Berea knows that's what we're about. That's what we do. We lead people. What people? Any people who are interested. We lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to highlight Jesus, perfectly human, perfectly God, our Savior. And we believe a growing relationship has four let me just talk to you about this really quickly because I want you to know we pray that people who are here at Berean are treasuring God more and more. You probably didn't hear it on the online version. I don't know. Maybe y'all could hear it. I was down front. Uh, a brother at the end of that song, uh, I think it was our third song, you uh, said, praise you, Lord, or something to that effect. And I thought that is a heart that treasures God right there. Thank you, by the way, for leading us in that desire to just come out like, God, you are awesome. Friends, do we treasure God? Because when we treasure God, all the other lesser glories that we run after and crave get kicked out. But the only way we treasure God is when we look at him, when we, when we worship him, when we recognize how great he is. And when we treasure God, listen, here's what happens. We are in the process of being transformed. I don't know if you think about this, but whatever you spend the most of your energy on, the most of your thought time on, whatever you behold, that's what you become. Listen, if you are like all the time thinking about your finances, or if you're all the time thinking about achieving or work or whatever it is, that's what you're going to become like. In scripture, it talks about how those who worship idols become like them. Oh, friends, we want to be transformed to be more, and that's what a growing relationship looks like. And then we love others, and this is particularly outside the church. We love others. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love your... Like, we want to love others outside, people who are politically or ideologically different than us. We want to love anyone who, who is outside, who is our neighbor, anyone we come into contact with. We want to be about loving others. And then inside the church, what a growing relationship with Jesus looks like is we want to pursue unity with one another. And we could go into lots of uh, description about this, but where we are today, when we hit Exodus 34, 6, and we see the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love and truth, what we're doing is we are going to be treasuring God this morning. 
And so I, I am, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you. I can bring what I can bring, but what you can bring is a soft heart that says, Lord, I want to treasure you more. And so what we're going to be too of what's God like, Exodus 34, 6, we're going to be hungering. God, we want to see you more clearly so we can treasure you more deeply. I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me? And if that's your prayer, I'm going to give you a moment of quiet. You can tell the Lord. Lord, for many of us, that might be the longest silence we've had this week. We, we want to see you this morning. We want you to speak through your word to our hearts. Lord, anything that's blocking, anything that's distracting, Lord, help us not to think back on what has happened before this or to be thinking about what's coming next, but Lord, to simply sit right now and to hear you. You are the God abounding in faithful love and truth. We need to see you this morning. So we ask that you would show us yourself. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, uh, here we go. This is our verse today, and I'm going to be uh, talking out of the, the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. I like how it translates some of this. You, we have so many good translations. We're spoiled in America with good translations. But this is what I love. He says, the Lord is compassionate. Remember, that's our, our uh, rahum word, compassionate, like the, the love of a mother of her own vulnerable child out of her womb. And God says, I'm hanun, I'm, I'm gracious. That's what we looked at last week, and now we have the, I'm slow to anger, and we're actually going to pause on that one, and we're going to be looking instead at abounding in faithful love and truth. Why are we skipping slow to anger? I want to just remind you that this is a Hebrew kind of version of writing called a chiasm, and the God is, is gracious, compassionate and gracious. It kind of pairs with this next phrase we'll look at this morning, abounding in faithful love and truth. And then in the middle is the important, like the crux of what God is communicating, that's slow to anger. That's what we're going to look at next week. And it is a huge one, but let's dive into God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. If you like to take notes, you can just write this to start out. God shows blank. Go ahead and leave it blank. Blank love. And you might kind of have an idea of what's going to go in there, but God shows this kind of love. And the word in Hebrew is chesed. And it's, it's a word that uh, is not really a word that we've got a talk about. We often translate it maybe love, but like, honestly, we have such a weird uh, variety of ways we can use the word love. The other day, Jessica made uh, taco meat, and Lizzie walks in and goes, oh, I love tacos. And, and I'm thinking like, okay, sure, you can love tacos. And I love pizza, but not the same way I love Jessica. And that's a good thing right there. And uh, <laughs> So we've got this word love that has all kinds of semantic range of meanings. But then we've even got some words that like we don't even have an exact word for in English. And so what we do is we think like, hey, we'll just take a word from another language and we'll just make it in our English verbiage. For instance, you know that feeling that you get when you think you've heard something before? Like, you know that feeling that you get when you think you've heard something before? I said, what do we call that? Yes, that's deja vu, and, and that's a French word, but we don't even try to translate it in English. We're just like, I, they captured perfectly what that is, and everybody knows that's deja vu. In the same way, chesed really can't be just like one kind of a word. Like, we kind of got to come at it and say, it's chesed. 
And so what is, when we're talking about what is chesed, what are the words, the semantic range that we're talking about of English words that go with it? This is where I'd love for you to, uh, Graham, this is where I go back to my math teacher roots and I get really kind of excited. Here's our Venn diagram. We got three circles. Each of these circles represents the range of meaning of an English word. For instance, we've got chesed incorporates this idea of commitment and generosity and love. And at the, at the intersection of commitment, generosity, and love, that's chesed. You see, it's more than just like a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's more than just kind of liking something. This involves promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by a deep personal care. Now, I want to stop because I meant to do something and I didn't do it. I want to say again, I am so deeply indebted to thebibleproject.com to uh, the people who study this, you can go, we've put in the YouVersion live event, some more access to videos. You can go and watch, listen to podcasts. There's all kinds of good stuff that they've got. And I'm so grateful for them. So I want to make sure I give credit to where credit is due. This isn't simply a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it's concrete action. And loyal, loving, this faithful love, this chesed of God, this is where it just is crazy. It's given with no expectation of return. Okay, now think about that. If we're talking about, hey, I'm going to invest somewhere, I'm always talking about what's my ROI? What's my return on my investment? If I'm going to give money to here, if I'm going to invest my time here, if I'm going to do so, I want to know what's my return on investment. And Hasid says, I have no expectation of, in, of return. I am going to give not because you're going to give back, but because this is my character. I am going to give commitment and generosity and love. Like we actually see this throughout the scriptures. There's a beautiful story in, in the book of Ruth about a woman who, uh, she's a Moabite, which is not a Jew, not an Israelite, and, and she marries into a Jewish family. And then her husband dies. Well, her father-in-law dies, and then her husband dies, and then her brother-in-law dies. And she is left with her sister-in-law and her mother-in-law. And for to be unattached to any kind of a man was in a dangerous, vulnerable position. And so the mother-in-law says to the two daughters-in-law, she says, look, go and just leave me because you can go find another husband and you can be protected. And the one daughter-in-law leaves, but the second, this woman, Ruth, she says, I'm not going. I will love you. And where you go, I'm going to go. And where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Your God is going to be my God. She says, I will. And she shows this incredible amount of chesed. Commitment. Generosity. Deep, personal love. Later, she shows it to a, a man. His name is Boaz. He actually speaks this out in Ruth chapter 3, verse 10. Boaz says to her, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last said greater than the first. You, what you did for your mother-in-law, like that was an amazing amount of said, but the said you've shown to me is even bigger. You're not gone after a young man, whether poor or rich. You can read the rest of the story, but there's, it's just a beautiful story of said. Let me tell you one other quick story about Hasid. It's that the king, uh, at the time, he was just David. David was uh, a young man in Israel. He meets the son of the king. Saul is the king. Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan and David are so fast friends. I mean, they just care about one another. Jonathan says, look, David, here's how it works. I get it. And this isn't exactly how it goes down. But he says, I know that you're going to be the king, but I'm supposed to be the king. 
by hereditary line, I should be, my father's the king, I should be the king, but I'm not going to be it, you're going to be it. And I know that when some new dynasty, a new family comes in, they erase the rest of the old king's line. So Jonathan asked David to make a a treaty, kind of a covenant with him. Jonathan says, if I'm still alive, show me the chesed of the Lord. Show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Don't kill me. I'm not a threat to you. And do not cut off your chesed from my house forever. David, let's make a covenant when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. I want you to know I am for you. I will support you. Please show me your chesed. Well, David does, in fact, become king, and it's a sorrowful day. On on a day of battle, both the king Saul and Jonathan die. On that day, all of the the servants in Saul's house and the relatives, they be the king, and we got to get out of here because kings come in and kill all the servants or the relatives of the old king. And so the nurse is running with a boy named Mephibosheth, and she drops him. She's hurrying to get out. Mephibosheth hits the ground and his legs become crippled. For the rest of his life, he's crippled. Years uh, go by or time goes by and, and David says, hey, is there anyone, this is in 2 Samuel 9, is there anyone le- still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him chesed for Jonathan's sake? And they show him Mephibosheth, and David comes, and Mephibosheth is in a kind of an impoverished area because he, he, he can't do anything for himself. He struggles because he's uh, no longer able-bodied, and David says, I want you to come, able, and I'm going to provide for you for the rest of your life. Commitment, generosity, love, chesed. Now, by the way, uh, that is an amazing kind of a, a metaphor. I'll let you kind of do, connect the dots. But that is an amazing metaphor for what the king of the universe, God, does with us. Unable to do for ourselves, he invites us to his table. This is a beautiful story. Chesed, commitment, generosity, love. And yet, even as we talk about these beautiful examples of chesed, they still pale in comparison with God's level of chesed. In the, in the prophet of Hosea, God speaks to Israel and says, look, Israel, your chesed, it's like a morning mist. It's here and it's gone. And, and honestly, if we were going to be talking about our chesed, wouldn't we all say like, yeah, if I get it right, I get it wrong also at a lot of times. Is everybody with me on this one? God's chesed. Well, let's, let's read this one together. I love this. This is Psalm 136. It has 26 verses. We won't read all 26, but all 26 have the same format right up here. I'll read the white. Y'all can read the yellow. And listen, you online people, you're not getting a pass on this just because you're not here and hearing the rest of it. You, you have to say this too. So here we go. I'm going to read the white. You read the yellow. And listen, can we just make a pledge right now? We will not read like robots. Okay, so we're not going to, his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, say it with some feeling. Y'all with me on this one? All right, I'm trusting you. Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. That steadfast love is chesed. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his chesed endures forever. He's not going to suddenly... Can you imagine what it would be like if we didn't have an idea of what God is going to be like tomorrow? 
If, if, his, if his love wasn't constant like it is, it didn't have the commitment to it, but instead it was kind of transitory. Like maybe he's going to be ticked off tomorrow. That would be bad. That would be awful. But his steadfast, his chesed endures forever. Like this is the moment where I hope that we realize what love is. Love is, is, is not just simply tolerating something or approving of whatever somebody else thinks. I don't, I don't love you by just simply saying, hey, whatever you're doing is fine. That's not love. Love is a commitment to the highest good of another person, no matter what it costs me. Love is a commitment to the highest good of another person, no matter what it costs me. And, and, and being committed to good and loving is not simply being nice. We've tamed that word sometimes. And God's has said is so much more than just being nice. It endures forever. And we ought to just at this moment kind of look at our own lives and say, I am not worthy of that kind of chesed. You don't have to think very hard about your own life to recognize you're not really worthy of this kind of love. Now, who, who deserves this kind of commitment and generosity and love? See, this is actually a massive point for us to understand. Uh, there, last week, we talked about a guy, Jacob, and his brother Esau. And Jacob, uh, they were brothers, twins, and Jacob had kind of uh, tricked Esau into giving him what's called the birthright of the firstborn. It was rightfully Esau's, but Jacob kind of grabbed it. And then Jacob out and out deceived and stole a blessing from his father. It was supposed to go to Esau. The father wanted to give it to Esau, but Jacob deceived and stole the blessing. And then after many years pass, Jacob looks at God. When, when, he's, when he's seen his, his property just multiply, and listen to what Jacob says in Genesis 32. I'm not worthy. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love. That's chesed. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of your chesed and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan, and now I've become two camps. God, I am not worthy of this kind of loyal love. I am so disloyal. I can turn away from you in a heartbeat. I'm not worthy. It's a good thing for us to recognize, but here's the beautiful reality of chesed. Let me remind you, chesed is not given to those who are worthy, but rather is given with no expectation of return. You know, there are groups of people in our uh, society today who are looked at as less than because they don't seem to be able to contribute what we would want, other, you know, we'd want them to contribute to us. And so maybe it's easy to not give them our loyal love. And so I want to suggest five areas where we might be able to say, Lord, you have given us your loyal love. We want to give. Here's number one. If you want to, you know, just jot these down and you can then go back later and ask, Lord, is there anything in my heart with this? Number one, in marriage. In marriage, we're talking about the highest good for the other person. That means I'm going to do more than just do a 50-50 marriage. Okay, you compromise, I'll compromise. It's like, how do I serve you? And if this is convicting to you, it is to me too. 
Are we 100? Husbands, are you laying your life down for your wife? You've got to lead in that. Yes, there are a command for wives to submit to the husbands, but husbands, let me just talk to you right now. If you're a husband, are we laying our lives down for our wives? And I believe the Lord is speaking to me in this one right now. Wives, there might be a time when you're going to need to say something challenging to your husband. Love does not mean that you don't ever have hard conversations. You don't ever say, hey, I can't continue in this kind of relationship. This is unloving, and it's damaging both to you and to me. This is what loyal love looks like. The second application is the partnership in the church. Do we have loyal love to one another? When we talk about being a partner, that's it's our kind of our version of membership. It's like, I am here for you. I heard about a group of, of people recently who went and served at a, at a guy's house, who, a guy struggling with cancer in the body right now, and these people showed up, men and women, and they're working hard to serve that person. I love that. Where are we sacrificing for the body? You know, another group that often feels like they don't have much to give is those who are elderly. Well, they can't think as fast, move as fast, whatever it is, and especially at end-of-life care. Are we cognizant of those people? Are we aware? Do we care about them? I had this incredible privilege this past week to go and to to take communion to a a woman who's a shut-in. And I, I would love to say that's a regular habit of mine, but I was convicted at the end of life care, it's easy to overlook those people. But maybe the Holy Spirit this morning is saying, this is an area I want you to move into. It's not going to be for everybody, but there will be for some who he's saying, I want you to take a step in this. Perhaps others were talking about uh, fostering or adopting children. Children who are vulnerable, children who don't seem to have much. And really, this is a whole investment in children. It's a whole area You might be investing in children by raising your own children. Or you might be investing in children by serving in in a Kids Connect ministry or a soul student ministry or somewhere else in our community caring for vulnerable kids. In our marriages, in our partnering in the church, with the end of life, in fostering and adoption, and in investing in children. These are five examples of how we can show this chesed. And the reality is that Jesus Christ is God's ultimate expression of chesed. Commitment, generosity. God was committed to the plan of redeeming humanity, those who would by faith grab onto Christ. He gave the most generous gift he could give because he has deep personal concern. God so loved the world. Friends, do we just stop and and just meditate on God's loyal love to us, his chesed? And then am I loving in a loyal manner? Freely, we have received. Freely, let us give. Let's go on. Here's the next part. When the Lord says he's not only abounding, and that's a word we didn't even really pull apart, but it's a huge amount, and not only in faithful love, but also in truth. And, and really where uh, uh, different versions might say God is abounding in faithfulness. This word faithful is emet, the Hebrew word emet. And it, it has a connotation of stability. 
of, of reliability or, or of truth. It's actually related to another word that we've pulled in from Hebrew that we use all the time here in English, the word amen, emet, amen. They kind of have that same root. When amen, I don't know if you know this, amen doesn't mean, okay, God, I'm done praying now, thank you. That, that is, is not what amen means, that's true. That's right. When we say amen, we're saying, I agree with that. There's a, there's a, a truthfulness there. There, in, in Scripture, we actually see the word emet in a, in a context where the Israelites are fighting uh, to remove some people from the promised land who had been wicked for generations. And whenever Moses would lift up his hands, Israel would be winning the battle. And when his hands would go down, Israel would be losing the battle. And so look at this in, in Exodus 17. Moses' hands grew weary because if you've ever tried to do this for any amount of time, it gets tiring. And so they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. So here, if you can picture, he's sitting on the stone and Aaron and her are holding up his hands. So you got one guy on one side, the other on another. So they're holding up his hands, one on one side, one on the other on the other side. So his hands were emet, steady, reliable until the going down of the sun. They were solid. They were unmoving. And so when we say that God is emet, we're not simply saying that he stands for truth or that, that he tells the truth, we're saying God is true. Everything about him is true. His whole being, everything in every way, just shouts in the best possible way, not all caps, shouts truth to us. Y'all, we, we talk about, in, in the Old Testament, you'll often hear God referred to as the rock. I don't, I don't know, if you're hurting today, can I suggest this is a prayer you could adopt as your own? Hear my cry, O oh God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock. You are emet. You are faithful. You are the rock that is higher than I. And you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my emet. It's not the word emet, but it gets that idea. God is our rock and our redeemer. God is faithful. Now, here's the thing, because I think this is the crux of the issue of humanity. I cannot overstate this. I'll say it again. I can't overstate this. The temptation that is, I think, underlying every other temptation is will we believe God is? Go back to the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve are in the garden, and there's a lot of, of, of language. It's about Eve seeing the fruit. She saw that it was pleasing to the eyes. She saw that it was good to eat. And her POV, her point of view, is that God's holding out on me. God is not emet. God, in fact, I can tell what's emet. And what is emet is me to grab this fruit and eat it and become like God. And that is the temptation that happens. Every sin, I believe, is a result of us believing God is not emet. I am emet. The proverb uh, in Proverbs 3, it says, don't be wise in your own eyes. 
My circumstances, my experiences, and particularly my pain, my sorrow, my loss, my suffering tells me that God is not a met. And we've, if, you've had, if you've had the pain, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a man, Abram, who had the pain of being childless that he had no son, and God shows up to Abram and says, Abram, I'm going to make you into this great nation. I'm going to give you not only a nation and bless all the nations through you. You're going to get this land. He gives him all these things, and Abram has no reason to believe that God is a met because of his circumstances, and yet Abram believes God, and in Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abram believed the Lord. This has its roots in emet, and God counted this belief, this emet, this faith to Abraham as righteousness. All throughout Israel's history, that was the big question. Is God emet or not? In Exodus 14, the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they emet, this is that form, they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses, which this is easy to believe in. When the Lord shows up and starts doing plagues and like rescuing us and freeing us, like it's easy to believe in God at that moment. Yeah, God's totally faithful. He's rescuing me. It's easy to believe. God's going to, he gave me all these blessings. Yes. But then flash forward to Numbers chapter 13. When they send spies into the land and the spies come back and they say, we came to the land of which you sent us. And it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. And they show all this amazing fruit. And it's this incredibly rich and fertile land. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of the Anak there. And those people are giants. And we can't take them. And yes, God has said that he would empower us and that he would drive them out. But God is not a met and we can't beat them. And we have these same sorts of feelings today. What, what, what is it in our life right now, in this moment, that causes us our experience, our pain, our loss? What is it that makes us go, I don't know if God's a met? I'm not going to, in any way, I don't mean to diminish the pain or the sorrow you feel. That is real and it is true. And we live in this broken world, but not even our broken world. Or the lies of the enemy, or the sin in ourselves cause the emet. That's the beauty of, what, of him declaring himself in this. I, don't, I can't explain why bad things happen to good people. I cannot tell you why the Lord allows the things that he does at times. But I can declare with all my heart that he is emet. There was a, a, a boy, David, who later became the king. David, who believed God was met. When all of Israel was on the sidelines, trembling before the giant Goliath, David goes out and he says, I co- you come to me with a sword and a, and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David knew that God was and could be trusted, and he walked in against this giant. And because he did so, God says to David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, which was fulfilled in the coming of the descendant of David, Jesus Christ. Look, 
Believing God is met is not like we're going to do it here on September 26th as I'm preaching this today. It's not like this is a one-time, okay, this time when I'm listening to this, boom, I'm going to decide God's met. This is a process of daily, maybe even hourly, I remember, and I haven't talked about this for a while, but I remember when my sister lost her two sons in the car accident. And I remember those first few days, and it felt, and it still feels so dark. And I remember pleading with God, just show us a glimmer of yourself. And he was a man. And it doesn't make it hurt less even these years later. And the sorrow is still there. But God is a man. And we get a choice every day. I'm either going to build my life on the reality that God is a man. Or I'm going to build my life on the reality that I know best. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, if anybody hears my words and puts them into practice, if, the, if you build your life as it were, that, that person who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. You see, there's all these themes that keep coming up. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against the house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. That is the life that looks at, at the commands of Jesus and says, even if these commands don't make sense to me, forgive, love your enemies, do good to those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Even if that doesn't make any sense, I can't do that. But if I do it, I'm building my life on the fact that God is a met and he knows better than I do. And my point of view is not going to be the solid rock. Releasing bitterness when I feel like I have so many reasons to hold on to this. Claiming my rights when everybody else needs to let me do what I want to do. And that's not what Jesus did. By the way, the man who builds on, uh, on his own thinking, hears the words of Jesus and doesn't put them into practice, like the man who built on the sand, and when the rains and the storm came, his house was decimated. There are real realities to where we decide to build, on God's emet or on the shifting sand of ourselves and our own view. This is why God says, it is, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is, is not just about me saying, like, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He died for me, rose again, and I'm saved now. Faith is this way of saying, God, you are a met, and whatever you call me to, it is good and right and true. And I will follow even if I don't understand it, because you're good and I treasure you. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Friends, if you're in the midst of pain, Sister, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I weep with you today. 
But God is still a met, and I gotta remind you of that. When Jesus was in the garden, he had this moment. And he knows what's coming. He knows he's going to get betrayed. I believe that he, he could see what was going to happen. The cross, he knew the brutality, the awfulness, the separation from the Father. And Jesus says, Father, if there's any other way, if there's a plan B, let the cup, I don't want to drink this cup of wrath, let it pass from me. And he, and he has this moment where he knows his father is a met, but he doesn't want to do what's been asked because he's saying it's going to be painful so much. And then he makes the decision. I mean, I don't know if he made the decision in the moment. I'm, I'm not trying to say that, but he says, not my will, yours be done. You are a met. And if this is the way that your steadfastness and reliability and solidness and you are my rock, I will go your way. It's not wrong to ask for this. But have we made up in our mind, God, I'm going your way. And we will have to keep making that up. Do we question God today when we look around at the world? Do we question God when we look at our experiences or our circumstances or our pain or our suffering or our loss? In moments when God doesn't look a met, that's when we have to decide, God, either you are a met or I am a met. And that's really the choice we have before us. So you may today be feeling like, I am struggling with this. This is where we run back to the cross. It was through Christ's willingness to say, God, you are a met, not my will, but yours. That we both receive our forgiveness and now we receive our empowering today to be able to declare that God is a met. And it's even more beautiful than that. There's a beautiful story in Mark chapter 9 about a father who shows up at Jesus and his son is, 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 is ill and he says, Jesus, if you can do something that would be so good. And Jesus says in Mark 20, 9, 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, would you read the last three words with me together? Here we go. Help my unbelief. Now let me make this very clear. This doesn't mean that Jesus is just going to make everything in your life better. When Jesus said, your will be done, Father, it crushed him. But even in the crushing, even in the loss, we can still say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Friends, have you settled in your hearts, or are you in the process, are you in the struggle to say, God, you have this chesed, and on your chesed bases your emet, your great compassion, your grace, your generosity, commitment, and love, you are a met. Would you bow your heads with me? And what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is something that I don't usually ask, but I think it's right. Our bodies can help adjust our spirits. And so to this morning, if the Lord has stirred you, Maybe there's a way that you are like, God, I want to treasure your chesed more. I, I want to, to see and, and settle. You are a met. Maybe there's a repentance because you realize where 
your faithfulness, you have been faithless or you have not loved the way you're called to, I'm going to ask you to do one of three things. The first thing is if you're physically able, I would invite you to kneel in just a moment. Kneeling is a way of saying, God, I am before you humbly, and I recognize I am submitted to your chesed and your emet. The second thing, perhaps rather than, than kneeling, maybe you would simply stand. God, I stand up as a way to remind myself of your great faithfulness, your emet. I stand on that rock. And maybe that's what the Lord is going to stir you to do. And the third thing is if you're struggling, if you're not able to either kneel or to stand, would you just take, we've done this before, take and put your palms, hands up in your lap. Again, if you're physically able, I would encourage you, use your body to help your spirit make a stand or to bow before God today. Would you, at this moment, if it's in your heart, don't do it because someone else near you is doing it or you think you're supposed to, just if the Lord is stirring your heart, would you kneel, stand, or turn up your palms, please? Father, your chesed, committed, generous love, and your emet, rock, steadfast, firm, and reliable. You are these and these. And we confess our need for you today. Lord, will you allow your character to echo in our minds and our hearts this week that we might treasure you more, that we would be transformed to love others and pursue unity, that we might grow in our relationship with Jesus. Thank you for these precious people, these souls who you love. Lord, draw us nearer to you. We pray it in the name, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.